Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Thank you so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. You can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud. Also, please become Patreon supporters of the show, which really does just make this show possible. Supporters like you guys. Yeah, that's right. That's that, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, guy with blonde hair. Now I'm talking to you, woman with brown hair. Yeah, you there, the person wearing glasses, I'm talking to you. All right, that was pretty good, huh? Today's show is so jam-packed with goodness, I can't even, oh my, oh my goodness, is all I can say. First, I talk to, no big deal, Marianne Williamson, former presidential candidate, a spiritual guide, a writer. Six of her 10 published books have been New York Times bestsellers. That's six, guys. Her most recent book is called A Politics of Love, a Handbook for a New American Revolution. Then I play an interview that I did with Tim Black, host of the Tim Black Show. Then, you guys, I can't even go there. Then I talk to Nina Turner, State Senator Nina Turner, SNT. She gives us some uh, some feedback about the Democratic platform travesty, which is, as she put it in a tweet, shameful as hell. And then I speak to a staple of the show, basically, Aaron Mate. Aramate is my Russiagate stringer. He's my uh, liberal, liberal hawkism stringer correspondent um, from the gray zone, of course. Wednesday with Nando Villa and Daniel Bessner and Samita Maktapadai and Isha Kirshaswamy. We talked about Michael Brooks, who, of course, passed away last week. And so um, it's interesting. It's tragic. Um, but what's interesting is that it's, it's, I had, you know, I had scheduled Marianne Williamson to come on before either of those deaths happened. And also a few episodes ago, I had Kate Willett on. Kate was the woman who wrote that piece. Um, I hated Bernie bros until I, I hated the Bernie bros until I loved and lost one about the death of her boyfriend. And while we were talking about that, we started talking about the kind of absence of self-care in many ways of the, on the left, there's like these two, there are these two different, I think extremes maybe. There are people who are kind of, and I'll get into this more with Marianne, but there are people who really lean into radical self-care in a way that I think is kind of not um, very universal or, or focused on others. It's kind of very self-absorbed. And then there are people who think that activism means that you can't talk about self-care, you can't talk about self-help, you can't talk about anything that's not kind of the way, like a, a critique of capitalism or that's not an attempt to uh, dismantle capitalism. And if you do work on things like self-care or self-help, that you are undermining the struggle against capitalism. So I think those two things are real issues and I'm really excited to talk about it with our guests. And it just is like a... Again, it's not fortuitous, but it's just interesting that this came up with Kate Willett and that this came up, of course, when we were talking about Michael Brooks and that, of course, it came up, um, it will be coming up again tonight with our guests. So without any further ado, and by the way, here are just two of her many books. You can see I have a pen in them because I was underlining Return to Love and A Politics of Love, A Handbook for a New American Revolution. So... Marianne Williamson, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Katie, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. I'm really excited to talk <clears throat> to you, and um, especially in these times. I mean, it's funny. I was, I was, I've been listening to a bunch of your interviews um, 
one of the things I've noticed is how interesting it is to watch you go from like very different genres, right? So you are someone who talks to political audiences, obviously, you talk about political theory, you talk about policies and plans, and then you also talk uh, to people who are more in the spiritual realm. And I was watching on some show and, and the host said something about how hard it was because everything was great before, before COVID. And she was remembering back to when, you know, her life was great. And, and you kind of did this, like, not, it, was, it wasn't critical, but it was kind of like a, ch a check-in. And you were like, well, for us, it was great. For us, everything was great. For lots of people, it wasn't. And um, I wonder if you, you have that in the other world, like, so to me, that was basically you bringing a political consciousness into a spiritual conversation. Do you have the other thing where you find yourself like trying to move people with whom you with whom you're speaking in politics uh, to see things from the more spiritual realm? Oh, and how do absolutely. Those things compare? Absolutely. A lot of the political conversation, um, a conversation which deems itself to be very sophisticated is spiritually very unsophisticated. Look at what's happening right now. Uh, the president is basically invading American cities. And people are talking about it like, ooh, this is illegal. As though that's going to fix it when you have a, when you have a secretary of the, uh, Homeland Security who doesn't care that it's illegal, isn't even there legally. This is not just about dealing with illegalities. At this point, it's about dealing with evil. Mm. It's about dealing with forces that go way beyond um, strictly externalized issues. So, yes, the, a lot of the uh, political conversations are as uh, spiritually naive as some of the spiritual conversations are politically naive. Right. We're naive if you think dealing with Donald Trump is simply as, uh, as simple as uh, pointing out that something's illegal when he himself has already appointed a third of the judges and he's purged the government of so many of the people who actually might have been able to do something about this. Right. And he himself said it. I mean, lest we had any doubt, like he said, he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and no one would care. And by the way, that's an example of spiritual naivete right there. That's a demonic statement. That's a demonic mm. statement. And all the people who laugh at, at words like that, that means demonic means deeply psychotic. You know, when mm -hmm. back in hundreds of years ago, when they used words like angels and demons, Freud had not been born yet. We didn't have modern psychology. So they didn't have words like psychosis. They had words like demons. They had uh, angels of your better nature. Right. But we think we're so sophisticated today. But in a way, hundreds of years ago, when they actually saw these things as aspects of, of, of the psyche in a way that were more sophisticated, not less. Mm. I mean, right. But it doesn't seem psychotic because I actually think he's just saying the truth. Like that, I think that, you know, one of the things about Trump is that he's obviously very scary, but one of the things he does, and one of the reasons that people do like him, the ones who do, I think is because he does take the mask off. And I think it's scarier that... It, I mean, there are two that things. doesn't mean he's not psychotic, however. Yeah, I guess his saying that out loud, even though it may be true, is uh, the the part that's very, um, yeah, I mean, it is. It's true. You don't, I, I'm like, it is really crazy that, sorry, it's not funny, but I'm just thinking how, in, I was going to say, insane it is that he did say that out loud. Well, hello, you just said it. Right. I know, yeah. But I think at this point, Katie, we have to not just look back at what happened, but look back at our reactions and our lack of reactions to what happened. As we know, he has turned out to be worse than we all feared. 
And not only has it been worse than we feared, it, think of where we have gone for three and a half years. First, it was, okay, Jared and Ivanka will be there and they'll be a mitigating influence. Then it was, well, he'll bring in some adults and they'll be a mitigating influence. Then it's that our institutions will hold and they'll be a mitigating institu uh, 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 influence. And then it was Mueller was going to save us. That would be a mitigating influence. We're at a point where this man is now sending federal troops into city after city after city after city. It reminds me at first he went into Poland, then he went into Austria, right. then he went to Luxembourg, then he went to Belgium, then he went into Yugoslavia, then he went to Czechoslovakia, then he went into France. So now he's gone into into uh, Portland and now he's going into Chicago and then he's going into Albuquerque and then today he's talking about Philadelphia and he's talking about Milwaukee. You know, even if you invade another country, people have conversations like, what's our mission there? And we even ask the question, what's the exit plan? First of all, he's going in there to quell the violence. What, people who are the real criminals in these cities are going to wear signs that say, come get me? Right. And when are these troops going to leave? Do you think they have any plans to leave, Katie? And who is asking them to leave? This, we have governors and, and mayors who are, I mean, when you look at that, at that, uh, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, one day she's saying, we will not handle this. We will not take this tyranny. The next day, she's had a conversation with him. She's yeah. like a different woman. What is going on? We have a mayor of Seattle saying she's frightened. We have a mayor of Portland saying somebody's going to die. And this has already started to happen. We are living in a, this is not something that might happen or would happen or could happen. This is happening right now. Yeah. And and what you see mainly are like tweets coming out of Senate, Democratic senators and congressmen saying they can't do this. Right. Meanwhile, the Democrats themselves continue to fund the Department of Homeland Security. Right. They're asking questions. We want our questions answered by the Department of Homeland Security or Bill Barr. These people don't care what's legal. It's really right. time for everybody to get that. They do not care what's legal. And and that's why this is happening on the streets, because people have had to, t there's been such an ineffective opposition to him over the last three and a half years. So much acquiescence to him in places where he should not have been acquiesced to, that now the people are just taking it into their own hands. We have a match so close to gasoline right now. Mm. We already have a little, they, the, conflagration that is possible now. And so I think we have to have a conversation that goes way beyond analysis of how we got here, because historians will be doing the, uh, that long past the time when you and I are no longer on this earth. There will be books being written about what happened at this moment in American history. What you and I have to do right now is write this next chapter of American history, mm -hmm. because what happens in the next, I believe, two to three weeks in this country wow. will determine whether or not American democracy will survive. You pointed out something so important, which is that the Dems acquiesced and um, so much of their opposition to him has been very kind of symbolic and performative. You know, uh, performing is the trendy word now, but that, it sure has been. Yeah, yeah. It sure has been. I mean, this is ridiculous. They're, yeah. Interestingly enough, they're more performative than he is. He's not performing. He's really doing it. That's really interesting. Yeah, he's performing it. Really he's doing it. That's really but funny. But like if I clap like this or if I... Yeah, if rip I, off the pages yeah. of the speech, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or the kente cloth. Well, again, what you said while they vote, they sign his, all you know, uh, cash all of his checks, right? Vote for his budget, his war budget. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, 
And all that they were even asking for was Bernie was saying 10% off. And they wouldn't oh, even do yeah. that. So like, oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's another thing. Yes, and when you think you. of the money, it's a $61 million more is now being budgeted for this troop, militarized, really troop invasion, really, of these cities. And what if that money had been spent? Think he's he's fighting crime. Who in America, given COVID, given the economic despair that millions and millions of people have been living with, given the eviction crisis happening, given American hunger, who, what American has woken up in the middle of the night over the last few months going, oh, what are we going to do about Albuquerque? Right. This is not where America's concern is. We're not really, I mean, if there's violent crime, and there is in some of these cities, that's for the local officials to handle. And if they feel they need it, they can ask for the National Guard. We have a process here. We're a nation of laws. This is not JFK sending troops to help integrate University of Alabama. And so how are they going to, how, how exactly are they going to quell violence in those cities? They are exacerbating violence. They are creating chaos. They are creating fury. And I have to tell you, I'm so proud of my fellow Americans that they are standing up. The moms, the dads, the vets, the nurses. Mm. Yeah. Where, so what do you think needs to be done in the coming two to three weeks? I think we all need to pray. I think we all need to meditate. Those of us who pray, those of us who meditate. I think that those who, uh, I think everybody really needs to ask in their heart for what part they might play, but we must not look away. And please vote for the progressives in, in these primaries who will do right. something. The fact that we got Hickenlooper rather than Romanoff, the fact that we got Gideon rather than Sweet, the fact that we got McGrath rather than Booker or Boyer, yeah. please. It, it, so progressives, we say how much we want change, but when it came to these primaries, but there are still some left. Yeah, there are still some left. Adam Christensen. I mean, there there are a lot of Keita Haynes in Tennessee. You can go to ProgressiveCandidateSummit.com. Some of the people I've endorsed, you I'm sure have, Bernie has. We still have time to help get some of these progressive candidates in there. Even yeah. Shahid, you know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm sorry, Nancy. I'm sorry. I have great respect that she's the first Speaker of the House. I've, uh, someone oh, like Chuck I Schumer. I, yeah. I wrote last night. AOC needs that. a primary. I mean, what are we, you know, what has yeah. happened? What has happened in our country that only Republicans have audacity? Yes, you, this is another thing you said that was so good. You said that Republicans, Republicans have more elitist ideals, but, and plans and policies, but are um, less elitist in the way they respond more to More egalitarian, oddly egalitarian, more egalitarian, sorry, egalitarian with their yeah. own constituency. Democrats are the opposite. The more egalitarian policies, but this elitist paternalistic relationship to its own right. constituency, namely, namely, the um, uh, all these progressives who are treated like a bunch of Birkenstock babies. Yeah. You know, Cenk said something, you were talking about Cenk Uger, he said something to me the other day that really stayed with me. He said, Republicans are selected for strength and Democrats are selected for weakness. Oh, yeah, that's very true. That's true. Like, yeah. So, no, we can't wait. You know, everybody's supposed to stand in line. No, no. The, the, the house is on fire. Right. It's the so house funny. is on fire. It's so funny because you said pray and meditate. And I was just already hearing the like the, the people like yeah, even yeah, yeah. in me, but I've gotten, I'm not that way anymore. But I also don't want to alienate people because I do want to welcome people to this. And I'm not like, a, I, I consider myself, you know, like spirituality curious, let's say. So let me ask you this. Yeah. And you and I had this conversation before. What if Reverend Barber had said it? 
Right, no one would mock him as uh, mm -hmm. right. or Al Sharpton or right. Jesse Jackson. Right, yeah. Martin Luther King, you know, when I was younger, I read all the biographies of Martin Luther King because I'm, I've always been so enamored. Right. And all of the, the biographies talk about the third Sunday in 1960. And he was, uh, he was a minister at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. And on the third Sunday of, July, of, of January, I'm not sure, the third Sunday of, I think, January 1960, they said he went from being a preacher who contextualized within a political context to a movement leader whose politics were within a spiritual context. It was Martin Luther yeah. King who said that we need quantitative change in our circumstances and qualitative change in our souls. It was Martin Luther King who said the, uh, uh, the desegregation of the American South is the political externalization of the goal of the civil rights movement, but the ultimate goal is the establishment of the beloved community. That was not a naive thing to say. He was saying we could desegregate, but if there's not a change of heart, we will be dealing with this stuff again. And he was right. Mass incarceration, racial disparity in sentencing. Right. It has to be both external and internal change. And that kind of integrative holistic thinking, which is now completely permeated mainstream thought about healing the physical body, is a more sophisticated modality of transformation, not a less sophisticated modality. That's why when it comes to racism and, and slavery and, and so many of the racial uh, issues today, people understand the internal dimensions, dealing with white privilege and atonement and paying reparations. It's both and. Yeah. That's the 21st century. The 21st century politics is multidimensional in that it recognizes that human beings are multidimensional. And if our civilization is going to change, it has as much to do with our changing as it has to do with legislative change. The irony about people who dismiss you as not serious is that, you know, you're the one who's who endorsed these different candidates. You had these like online Zoom discussions with different candidates while Warren, for instance, you know, the, the great thinker, really smart, you know, sharp as a sharp as attack endorsed um, uh, either endorsed people very late in the primaries after it would have mattered. Um, or I believe she endorsed um, Hickenlooper. And they kept Yeah, I, I, I love this actually. Yeah. And I, all I can say is, the same. There is a system that got us into this ditch. And when I was running for president, the the narrative was that only if you had had a career entrenched that was entrenched for decades in the system that drove us into the ditch, could you possibly be considered right. qualified to lead us out of the ditch? I see it the opposite. I see the Washington political mindset as a, as a box that is too limited. It is too inadequate a container for, uh, for the challenges of this time. And if ever it was obvious, it's right now right now it's almost as though the the mindset that dominates washington is almost disqualifying right because there's a sense of oh we can't do that we can't do that which once again republicans don't do why not right yeah, that's the irony to me republicans don't say oh we can't do that <laughs> because uh eric Cantor won't let us well get rid of eric Cantor. right it's so and weird and they do yeah so we oh we can't do that schumer and wouldn't do that or Nancy wouldn't do that the codependent relationship 
it's do you think psychological issues are at play right. because it's a codependency that in any other area of life people would be told uh break up with him and get a therapist yeah. or go to right. AA because yeah run don't walk run <laughs> yeah jen perelman who i believe is another candidate you endorsed yes. uh -huh. um on my show a while ago she's running against um debbie washington and she said that she it's like an abusive relationship um yeah. for a lot of dems uh, in terms of voting for, for certain, you know, for Democrats. Well, it's a perverse comfort zone. And yeah. um, it's a lack of, like I said, it's a lack of audacity. And, you know, also when you were talking about the spiritual and the political, I grew up in a generation mm -hmm. where we read Alan Watts and Ram Dass in the morning, and then we went to an anti-war protest right. in the afternoon. There wasn't this sense of separate silos. That period of our history was a big explosion of revolutionary consciousness. It was political. It was sexual. It was musical. It was philosophical. It was cultural. We didn't separate those things. You stay over here and you stay over there. And... Human beings don't exist in separate categories and lanes. So what we need going forward is a politics that recognizes the deeper, the deeper dimensions, including psychological, not just of the individual, but of the group. You know, all that a, a nation is, is a group of people. So the same psychological and emotional issues that prevail within the life of an individual prevail within the life of a country. If, if you, you could have somebody, anybody you and I know, right? And they went bankrupt, they got divorced, whatever, some big crisis in their life. It would be the most normal thing in the world for someone to say, you might wanna go to therapy and kind of figure out how this all happened. But when we talk about that in terms of the country, it's like that's too lightweight. It's not what's really going down. Well, let me tell you, it's what's really going down. And it's what's really going down right now. Right now, vote blue as if your life depended on it, because it just might. I, I heard you say something about getting back to normalcy, um, which I thought was like honest. And but I think we also have to maybe that's the, the next part, like the next chapter. But. If we don't move towards something else, we're just going to have another more. Trump. Yeah. Well, you, if you heard me talk about normalcy, it was probably on an interview where I said, all the things you and I have talked about are broken legs and arms. Uh, but Donald Trump is a bullet near the heart. Yeah. This, is, this is a mortal emergency here. None of these conversations will even, be, will even be able to have them if Trump wins again. We have to take care of first things first. That's how I see it. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, thank I would love you. to have you back on. I think and you're great, yeah. Katie. Thank you for thank having you, me. Thank you, me too. Yeah. Bye. Here is my interview with Tim Black, host of The Tim Black Show. Well, welcome. Hey. Hey. Hey, 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 hey. What's up? What's going we, on? Not much. We've only DM'd in the past. So this is the first time that we're actually, this is true. you know, you know, uh, interfacing. Um, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, well, I, I want to talk to you about, I, I saw a really good, um, video that you did about the boy who cried wolf or the boys who cried wolf, um, <laughs> or the, or the boys who cried Biden. Um, can you t t tell people, uh, can you just share your thoughts on that and what you were for people who didn't see the video, what you were, uh, referring to? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show, Katie. Yeah, I appreciate you. You're, you're a progressive. You're a real progressive. You're the, you're the real deal. Um, 
I think the video you're talking about was about Joe Biden, where Joe Biden made a stupid comment. Well, he makes a lot of stupid oh, comments. Oh, yeah, you're right. That wasn't fair. I should have set it up more. <laughs> I should have said particularly the stupid comment of Biden, where he was saying that Trump is the news, news, news break. Trump is the first racist president. <laughs> right. And that was just, I mean, I, like I said, you know, Charlamagne the God said that, you know, right. Joe Biden needs to shut all the way the fuck up. And yeah. I don't know if that's cool here. Um, yeah. And, and it's really bad when you got to go to a hip-hop DJ to tell the truth about Joe Biden. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. He should even hire him. <laughs> yeah, even though he endorsed Kamala, which is, ah, yeah, why I you know. do that shit? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, like, yo, we had we had presidents when we had slavery. So, um, right. and Jim Crow, and mass incarceration, which we still have. Yeah. Uh, and new Jim Crow. Um, so and Woodrow Wilson screened Birth of a Nation. There it is. You know, there it's it not, yeah. You have your pick, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that Donald Trump isn't racist. I'm saying he's not the first racist. Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah. No, no <laughs> one's saying he's not racist. Yeah. Right. right. The, the question is like why he's actually not the first. He's not actually a trailblazer in that area. Andrew Jackson. I mean, there's yeah. a ton to pick on. But um, to pick, no, I have to, to put the caveat there, Katie, not for you, but for somebody in my Facebook who was like, oh, you're defending, you know, Joe uh, uh, Trump now because you point out he's not the first racist. I'm like, no, nah, it's, it's just not. He's just not the first. He is of a long line of racist presidents. In fact, I think that every president, if not racist, has been a white supremacist, including Barack Obama. Yeah. It's America, man. Right. It's a system. And so, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, um, it, it is interesting how you can't say anything critical of anyone else uh, for some people without it implying that you're being that you're praising Trump. It's like that goes without saying no one in this space actually likes Trump. So can we just move on from that? Well, some people don't like him, but they sure eat off of him. Mm, yeah, they get a lot of steaks in the freezer off the Trump. Right. Thing. I'm going to be dangerous tonight, Katie. So I just. Oh, good. Do it. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you just blame it on me. Say that that damn chip yeah. black. Yeah, you can't I'll take him yeah. anywhere. You can't yeah. take him to the Katie Halper show. You better yeah. not do it. But no, um, please yeah. feel free. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, uh, that's part of my thing is I think that some people go too easy on Trump. They don't want to, you know, the rule is, and you know it because you're in the biz now. I mean, you've been in the biz longer than me, I think. Um, you know, it's all about what the audience like. The, you know, I was told Tim, you can do very well. All you have to do is stop offending the Trump supporters. Mm. Like if you tone that down. Oh, man, right. I, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because like yeah. you, you can disagree with Trump, but just don't offend the supporters because then they, they'd have a max mass exodus. So I, I think one of the reasons why some people have seen exponential growth is because uh, they don't talk much about Trump. And when they do talk about him, they give him like, you know, he's just a buffoon. Him stupid. Right. Him right. Stupid. Yeah. No, no. He's set records in pointing uh conservative judges all throughout neighborhoods across America. Yeah, that's a little thing. Maybe that doesn't matter if you're not a black or brown person who has to go before that conservative judge. But for the rest of us, it's kind of a problem. So he's more than just a symptom of a problem. He's that, plus he's a problem. Right. He's a symptom yeah. and he's actually uh, a problem. He's like a, problem. he's a symptom and a new symptom or a new, yeah. a new source. So how do you balance that, though? How do you walk the line between acknowledging that Trump is a symptom, but also somewhat unique. Like he's not a total aberration. He didn't come out of nowhere, True. but he is something, I mean, even if just on 
and this is not this is like the first this isn't the half of it obviously on a aesthetic decorum level he's unprecedented he embraces this way of speaking um that we haven't seen before and anyone who, who rose as high as he did any elected president but um in terms of kind of the the substance and you know to the extent that i don't my i sometimes get get shit for not being hard enough on trump because I want to talk about the the stuff he does that's actually bad, not the tweets, which are distractions and not the Russia stuff. So um, but I definitely uh, do do think that we have to ex- like expose both things. So, yeah. How do you how do you see how do you talk about both things that he's a symptom, but he's also a problem in himself? Well, you know, right now is a prime opportunity, right? So he's pivoting to soften his language up. But what's he really doing? Well, he's he's telling cops, hey, let's go into these neighborhoods and crack some heads. And that's not a symptom, man. That's that's somebody directed it. What they did in D.C. here, just so he did do that photo op. Got to make a video about that shit. You got to slam him for that. I mean, I agree. And and I wasn't talking about you specifically, Katie. Oh, no, I I know. Yeah, I'm talking about there's this. You guys, I think you guys do a great job. Um, uh, Everyone has their own way of doing it. But me, I just, whatever the news, whatever comes, I report that shit. And I go hard. I go hard in the paint on the Democrats, the neoliberals. I go hard on the the performative nonsense, the all this shit and, um, you know. Ripping up their speeches. Yeah, yeah. and all that crap, that garbage. I saw your interview with Marianne Williamson. Great stuff. Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, but I also go hard on Trump, man. I go hard on those issues. Right. And I try to stay away from the tweets unless they're like really over the top. Like, sure, there's a lot of them are. But like, right. you know what I'm saying? So but I mean, people who don't do who like for you um, and for me, I think the tweets are like maybe like a window in there. They're like uh, a floor, not a, a ceiling. For some people, that's it. That's all they do. They go to the tweets and that's it. If they do that. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because then they say, well, we don't want to give them any publicity. But, you know, I mean, and, and then, you know, don't hold fire on the neoliberals either, you know. Right. So, yeah. so like, my main beef, Katie, is the people that go after the most progressive people uh, in the party that we have. I'm not, uh, by the way, I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. I ripped up my card in 2016. I voted Joe Stein. I felt I could do that um, safely. I live in Maryland. It's not right. a swing state. There's no way that Trump was going to win Maryland unless he went back in the time machine and, you know, Bought Marilyn Monroe some flowers and a Rolls Royce or something. Right. He ain't winning Maryland, man. That ain't going to happen. And it's not going to happen this year either. So don't ask me if I'm voting for Joe Biden because I don't have to make that decision. You Others have to make that decision. Right. I don't I don't envy anyone making that decision, by the way. But, what would um, you do, though? I mean, I don't know if you want, have, want to be public about it, but what would you do in, uh, in a swing state? Um, eat a gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Instead, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no, seriously, um... I would, oh, God damn. You know, Howie Hawkins never appealed to me, Katie. I never, he just turned me off the first time I had heard him talk. I was like, come on, man. I mean, could Katie run? Katie, how would yeah. you run? I'll like, run, sure, why not? You know, he just totally. didn't have it for me. Um, I, I believed in jail. Like, I believed in jail as a person. I met her, interviewed her like four times. I opened up rallies for her. I really supported jail. Um, but... Howie, I just never felt that 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 affinity. And I know people say, look at the broader picture. I just sure, so I'm right. I'm taking that off the table. So we're back to the decision of Joe Biden and Trump. To me, it's not about what you get out of Biden, it's what you don't want to get out of Trump. Right. There yeah. it is. So harm reduction. There you go. Harm reduction. Like Nina Turner, who's coming on, so Nina Turner, you know, hello, somebody. As, as she yeah. said, a bowl of shit, but hey. 
sometimes <laughs> I would have to eat it. And I know that's yeah. not a, I know that's not appealing to people, but hey, that's, you know, it's the truth. That's what I would do if I had to do it. Right. Yeah. Angela Davis was on um, uh, RT and said that, you know, now I did say this, I would have appreciated it if Angela Davis had, since she does obviously see the, the power of electoral politics, it would have been nice for her to get on the stump for Bernie, but you know, she's done a lot, I'm not holding against her. But uh, she basically said, you know, Trump will create by with Biden. There's more space for anti-racist organizing. Um, you know, Biden in office, there's less. Basically, I mean, I think what she meant, uh, or what 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 people mean when they say that, not to speak for her, she made her point about having more space to create anti-racism. But um, there's less terrible stuff that's going to happen. Is I think how a lot of people see it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, did, do you feel differently this time? Like, I, I, I feel like a lot of people I know with the George Floyd protest, the response to the George Floyd protest from Trump, although you have Biden saying that, like, anarchists and arsonists should be locked up, even though being an anarchist is not actually a crime. Right. But, like, there are some people, I think, who were more dismissive of the difference between the two of them, between Biden and Trump. And now that they've seen Trump's response to this are actually more yeah. in the pro Biden camp. Did that happen to you at all? Or you, 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 kind of? Yes, it did. It did. I mean, I, I, I can't, you put me in the hole. You said, Tim, which would you do? Like I, and I, I, I felt there's no way to wriggle out of that thing. Um, got to say what I would have to do, but I would also say, you know, voting down ticket is also important, but yeah, of course, man. Um, that what what's going on right now with with Trump with what he's saying his rhetoric the police the police state him this basically un, unleashing the cracking and 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 bold about it look guys we don't have any control at all over over a president that's true but we can't even shame Trump I mean he eats our he eats our shame like grapes right. and cherries and raspberries he's happy he's like oh they right. oh they're upset great that's my job oh they're pissed off great I offended you good right. so right. It, with biden i don't think they look at it that way i know he put on that tough exterior a couple of times on the stump and don't get me wrong he's not mr charismatic but i don't i don't believe he's like yeah uh i'm pissed off all the black people i think he was really he really i, I felt when he made those comments like if you don't vote for me you're not black like right. he made i it think he wished he didn't make it if yeah. it was Trump, he'd have doubled down on it, not try to explain it and have surrogates come out right. trying, to, trying to control the the bleeding, stop the bleeding. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Um, and so what do you, uh, how did you get into your your podcasting and your uh, YouTubing and your show? Oh, well. What's the, the origin story? Yeah, like, so back in the 90s, I worked for, um, I worked for Acorn. I worked for a couple other uh, so, uh, activist organizations, and I was a field organizer for a couple of those. Um, I was a writer for a newspaper called The Capital Spotlight in Washington, D.C. in the early 90s. It doesn't pay well unless you yeah. get, like, a really good job. And right. um, so I had a family, a young family at the time. I said, okay, this ain't going to work. I love it, though, but I went into IT. So when the internet, when YouTube came around, I said, oh, well, I can, I can do this for free. I have a job. I'll just come home and I'll just plug in my crappy webcam and I'll shoot videos and I'll be able to talk about whatever I want to talk about. So um, I was talking about social issues. I talk about, you know, police brutality. I talk about uh, things that happen in our communities, poverty, welfare, gang violence. I was talking about Chicago before it was sexy, all that type of stuff. And then... I started, my audience started growing, right? 
I went on the Dr. Phil show um, talking about social issues that happened. And then my audience grew and some people in my audience, my millennials were like, Tim, you got to check out Bernie Sanders, man. And at the time, came, I was like, yo, I don't trust politicians. All politicians suck. Right. So right. I don't believe, you know, you know, I don't come from a political family. Um, and they said, but no, man, this guy's different. All the things you talk about, that's what he talks about. So I did my research and I was like, this is like 2015. I'm like, oh, man, what's this 75 year old Jewish guy know about me? And like, wow, it turns out he knew a lot. Yeah. We had a lot right. in common about the issues from poverty, mass incarceration, environmental issues, education really big. I got kids and all these, you know, you, as you know, the whole platform, man, Medicare for all. I got aging parents. All those things. So um, that's what got me going into politics. That was around 2015, 2016. So I, I kind of stayed that way. In fact, unlike some, man, Katie, I was doing better before I talked about politics. Like things were like going well mm. <laughs> because, you know, like it's divisive for a lot of people. So I, I had to like rebuild my entire audience because they were like, we told you to dab your toe into politics, not go full right. body in, in the right. politics. So, so it wasn't a lucrative. It wasn't like, ooh, money. Like, right. you know, um, it was like, ooh, a calling, you know, and yeah. at the time I was, I was full employed. Now I'm full time in this and it's tough, but I love it. And you said you don't come from a political family. Uh, did your parents have, I mean, were they Democrats? Were they, they voted? Did they talk about politics? Did they talk about organizing civil rights, social issues? Right. Well, my mom, she's, my mom, no. Uh, well, they were, they were very, uh, what's the word? very uh unsupportive of politics uh -huh. my mom my mom is a jehovah's witness first of all so she's apolitical like right. she didn't deal with politics yeah. at all in fact you know everything's you know the system in the world worldly um you but, can't vote right you can't vote if you're a jehovah's witness yeah i, right? I, guess, I don't i didn't get baptized i left when i was 16. but uh <laughs> but they not i always thought it was such a waste because they knock on doors and That'd they be great. Do such good good get out the vote but they can't that do did it help me that did help me because i did have to do that when i was a kid there you I, go i'd go in front of any crowd katie be like yo I've had dogs sicked on me, door slammed on me. What you got? You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and if you're doing it for for you know something you believe in as opposed to the other stuff, there it is. Much like, more exciting. I, I actually believe that we were saving your life when we came to your right. door, and your soul per se, which is yeah. even longer than your life. You had that for right. as long as time. So uh, my mom used to always say, Katie, uh, we had Martin Luther King, we had John F. Kennedy. He tried to do some good. Everybody else sucked. That's all she ever right. told me. And they both um, got killed. And they both got killed. And remember, you know, my parents grew up in the, the 50s and, and they lived through the 60s and Jim Crow and all that shit. So my mom's from D.C. My dad's from New York. And we're talking about lunch counters. Not, can't eat at the lunch counter. Back of the bus. Um, carrying the I'm a man um, posters. I mean, I grew up hearing that, hearing the struggle right. um, all my life and how. Um, it wasn't just a theoretical abstract thing, but this is really what happened. You know, jobs, you can, things you can't do. Like my mom said, I remember her telling me, you, you know, you can't do this. Once you just learn a trade, because I, I wanted to be a writer, you just learn a trade. You know, black people don't get those type of jobs. You need to learn how to be a plumber, dude. You know, that yeah. type of thing. We're construction like your stepdad, you know, because that's just what, a, you know, like you said, the floor and the ceiling, uh, you know, our, our, the floor for some middle class or white folks is the ceiling for, for black Americans largely. Right. Um, and, and especially in the 60s and 70s, even though we've taken a downturn recently. And where did you grow up? 
I grew up in Maryland, D.C. Oh, okay. I was born in D.C., spent most of my life in D.C. Um, so I was about 12. Then we moved to Maryland. And uh, yeah, so I've been in Maryland ever since. You guess who my mom briefly dated? Uh, a, a, a very uh, important, controversial D.C. figure. Uh, uh, gosh, Murray and Burry. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> met at a they met. That's good. You're good. That you have good Marion Barry Dar. They met at a, a core uh, dinner at uh, Congress on Racial uh, Equality uh, dinner, and uh, John Lewis was there too. Actually, wow. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they went on a date or two, I think. But uh, yeah. Fun. Funny thing about Marion Barry, like a lot of people, they don't. They say, "Well, how did DC reelect this crackhead?" No, um, he was good. Yeah, like, dude, this guy. Okay, so when I was when I was a teenager, I was living in Maryland. We used to envy DC having Marion Barry because yeah. he gave all the kids summer jobs in the government. Yeah. Like you could go get a job. If you were in DC and you were a kid, you we he started he got people off welfare by giving them uh, sort of like internships for, for people on welfare on the system. I mean he did a lot. I mean he helped right. people climb out. He even you know, uh, Joe Biden part of his new um build it back better thing. Oh my god, what is that? It so, is yeah. uh, this is platform and he's running. Yeah, I know, but I don't even know like where did he get that from? Did he just it's, throw it darts? Sucks. Throw darts at a dictionary? <laughs> Simone Sanders, what's wrong with you, girl? You know yes. you better than that. Oh my God. At least rhyme. Um, yeah. But he said that one thing he's going to do is uh, make the government give, like, set a, not set aside, but how can we put it? Allocating, when you know, you do the, uh, the signing of job contracts, government contracts, that he was going to have a certain amount of those go to minority businesses. And he mm -hmm. said, right now it's 5%. He's going to triple it to 15%. Hell, Murray Burry was doing 30% back there in the 80s. Right. Yeah, right, he was so, ahead ahead of his ahead of his time, and that's go. also he was doing crack, right? But if he had been doing cocaine or something, you know, that would have been no one would have been that surprised. Or or if he had been doing some white collar crime, right? Of course he would he would have been expected to come back into politics, right? Um, but if he, was, because, if he was been doing coke and they found it, they'd just been like, hey, dude, can you can you yeah. share some with us? Can yeah, you, exactly. Yeah, you know, because right. that's in the eighties, that's what that, you know most of the people right. did. Right, and he was set up, right? Yes, he was. He was set up, yeah. yeah. And my he had mom cameras in his hotel room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so what? Uh, what made you? Did you have an aha moment when you realized you were not going to stay a, a Jehovah's Witness? Oh, uh, I like girls. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I but think no, a lot like, of Jehovah's Witnesses do too. That's a problem. A lot yeah, of yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, but I guess they don't know well, how to resolve like it. Yeah, it's not like you can't get married. I just never, right. like, f first of all, not to go too far on that, um, just the fact that the religion, uh, they didn't allow black people in it until, like, the 80s. I didn't know that. Mom should have let me know that I was in a racist-ass religion and no black people Oh, were until the 80s? <laughs> yeah, something oh, crazy. Oh, like Mormonism. Maybe, maybe kind of. the, maybe, yeah, sort of like that. Maybe it was the late 70s, but it wasn't It wasn't that long ago. I'm like, wow. what is this? If it's the truth, why didn't we should have had access yeah. to it all the time? I had no so, idea about that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's a long time ago, man. I just, uh, shout out to anybody who's escaped the cult. Yeah. Well, my stepdad, he wasn't one. So the, the household was already split. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. My older brother, he wasn't one. He, when he moved out, he stopped going. And I was just, oh, man, this, once you get old enough, you can leave. Right. You know, you, you can go out to the world. But no, the thing about it, Katie, is, I, you know, some of the principles, they're cool. I mean, like, don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't. Right. 
you know, don't smack people upside the head. Be nice to old ladies and stuff. You know, some of the stuff is just basic. Right. You know, if you're on a budget, not having Christmas is kind of cool. It kind of works out. All right. No birthdays either, right? Yeah, it's kind of downside, but yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it also saves money. Yeah, we were pretty poor, so that, that kind of helped out. Yeah. That was a good excuse. I, I think that's part of the reason why my dad was like, yeah, let's... You know, I, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I don't allow that in this in this house woman. She was like, well, we don't have to buy the kids birthday presents or Christmas. Yeah. He's like, well, maybe we should, you know, give it a try. Give it a chance, yeah. Yeah. That would be great, yeah. Well, we actually, uh, we have our, our uh, this is so exciting. I don't know if you guys uh, want to overlap for a little bit um, because we are about to bring in Senator Nina Turner. Um, and, uh Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I... Yeah. Let me say hello in a, yeah. in a few minutes, and then I get out yeah. the way. But I'd like to say hello. Hello, Senator Turner. Thank hello, you so much somebody. for joining us. Hello, somebody. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> hey, Nina, how you doing? Hey, Tim Black. Yeah, let's go on the overlap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, it's so good to be. Look, I was just on a Zoom call, and they had a virtual background, so my little green screen. That's Instagram screen. <laughs> Um, I was on a call it was almost two hours that was hosted by PDA, the Progressive Democrats of America, Roots Action, the Bernie Delegates Network. And I'm telling you, baby, it was fire because we'd have drawn okay. a line in the sand over Medicare for all. And there are over Wait. 700 people who have signed that petition, delegates, to say that, oh, yeah, we draw on a line in the sand for that platform committee. But anyway, how y'all doing tonight? Good. Yeah. At night on the East Coast. I know. Thank you so much for, for coming on this hour. And yeah. I and after two hours of two uh, hours uh, of zooming, baby, zooming, yeah. I yeah. saw Nina Turner on in South Carolina on the campaign trail, man, and she is a, got a motor just keeps on going, man. She's phenomenal. She got a lot of stamina. She could do she could do twelve hours if she had to. She is amazing, guys. I got some great footage of her talking. Nina, I'm still reeling off of your video. I did a video about you in the bowl, uh, the bowl of shit, and and. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I gotta go watch that too, but oh, you are something else, man. We love you. Look, my whole Wolfpack loves you, Nina. I gotta say that. I love the Wolfpack too. I gotta get in your store and order me some gear. Yeah. You know, more people, Katie and Tim Black, were concerned about what I said than the suffering of the people. Mm. Yeah. You know, the irony of that, that you wanna try to make something of just, I, I don't know, that reporter caught me on the day where I, I didn't give. <laughs> Well, obviously, a bowl, a bowl yeah. of you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just laid it out. It's, it's really hard to see all the suffering that's going on in this country and the world and not be upset, not to feel something, some real emotion. This ain't about being prim and proper when people have lost their damn health care, when people right. are about to lose their homes, when we can't even get into the platform of the Democratic parties, Medicare for all, protections for our Palestinian sisters and brothers decriminalizing yeah. marijuana hello somebody can't even get that in the wish list because it's non-binding what does that say one of these two parties gonna have to stand up for the people katie and tim black i'm mad you know i had a boss who used to say if your hair was on fire act like your hair is on fire right well, damn it my hair is on fire and i'm tired of pretending like it's not yeah no i mean it's we we talked about this before how how dare people be more angry be angrier at bernie sanders for being angry about poverty than than being angry about poverty like they are angrier at his anger about poverty than they are about the poverty right or about you saying that instead of about the thing that you're actually describing yeah as i mean this is the point 
Trump is a clear and present danger. Check, check the box. We, we got that. We right. get it. Right, right, right. Clear yeah. and present danger. He's a madman and he must go. Okay, so there. I've said that so many times, but the, you know, they don't pick up on that part. The man right. is a clear and present danger. How so? However, there is a need in the United States of America to have leadership that will provide vision and provision for the people that these two things are not mutually exclusive, that we can talk about how Trump must go and hold the Democratic nominee accountable. How about that? Can we just do that? You know, I just talked to folks, people losing, crying on on that last Zoom call about people who don't have health care in this country. And even in the midst of COVID, you know, what was that? Uh, Governor Sarah, Sarah Palin o- over the ACA, you guys remember this was making up whole death panels. Right. Well, it's, it's some real death panels happening right now. Jesus, yeah. what do we have to do? What can one of these parties stand up for the people? Right. Well, do you think Congress, I'm sorry, Katie. No, 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 keep on In the yeah. House of Representatives, I mean, riddle me this. And then Tim and Kat, Katie is your no, show. No, keep going. Keep going. The House of Representatives controlled by Democrats, could not even pass the measure to cut the Pentagon budget by 10%. I'm just saying, Republicans, today's Republicans, rotten to the core. Right, but we know that. Right, we already know that, yeah. But does that abdicate the responsibility of the Democrats to do something for the people in the House of Representatives? You can't pass a measure to cut the Pentagon budget by 10%, a budget that from the discretionary budget of $1.19 trillion of 20, that, that, that particular discretionary budget, because there are other budgets they pull from, I'm just talking about that one, 61% of that budget goes to the Pentagon, over $720 billion, and they couldn't cut it by 10%. Katie and Tim, my hair is on fire. What little I got, because I keep cutting it. My tail hair is on fire. I was like, good thing it's so short. Yeah, don't yeah. go too long or it's going to be fire. a brush fire. Yeah. My scalp yeah. is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's right, in solidarity. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. No, I mean, that's, do you think, though, that we have to play chicken with them? Like, I, because if they know, I mean, I, if they know that we're going to vote for them or urge them to vote, like, what leverage do we have? So, I mean, maybe make, we do have to say we're going to not, I, I almost feel like we, we should say this off camera or something because we don't want to get, they, we can't reveal it to them. But like, I, how else are Dems going to actually not just do the right thing, right? The moral thing, but it also happens to get people out of the house to vote. Yeah. Yeah, we got to motivate people. I mean, there are plenty of polls out there saying that young people are not motivated from all ethnicities are not motivated. There was a recent CNN article that came out that showed very clearly that um, that Vice President Biden is not even getting the share that that uh, Secretary Clinton got a black vote. You, you know, how about we motivate some people to come out the vote the way you do that, show that you're going to be different, that you're going to change their material, different, uh, change the material conditions in their lives, that there's something about you different than Trump other than to not be him physically. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got a lot of uh, you got a lot of love in this chat, Nina. He's a nut. Yeah. He's no, a madman, Tim Black. He got to go. Uh, he does, and I do too, Nina. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon, Katie. I love you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much for coming me. and come back because we got some questions about various things, including the Johnson term. There it is, Johnson. Yeah, Johnson. Thank All you right, so Johnson. much. Thank you so much, Bye, Johnson. Bye, Tim Black. Make sure Please. I'll put links to his show. Thank you so much again. Um,
Bye. Um, yeah. Um, let me just let me just uh, take this compliment off the screen. And sorry to my fans who wanted to ask that question. We will. Uh, but everyone is excited uh, about having you on, uh, Senator. Well, people were people were so excited. So um, yeah, I, yeah. What else? What can we do? I mean, you're a very inspiring, positive person. So how are you keeping the faith? And how are you? Well, you have this great podcast. Hello, somebody. Yeah. Hello, somebody. Please, y'all, go on to my website, NinaTurner.com. Go on to sign up for a sister. Subscribe. Hello, somebody. And we're talking about issues like this, Katie, and you do too. And I just want to thank you. You are one of the progressive champions, and we are so fortunate to have you because you speak a truth. We need people who can speak a certain type of truth at all times. And you are one of those people. We need that. So thank you. It's an honor to be on the show with you. And I know I've been with you and, and uh, Matt, you know, you got a whole bunch of hands, you yeah. do a whole bunch of stuff, but yeah. Hello somebody. So it launched in May and it's really blowing up. I want to shout out the Dems abroad. We got sisters and brothers abroad who helping a sister and my show is international. My podcast is international, but yeah, we're talking to both, you know, people of note and then people who are nationally known because everybody's of note and then also just everyday people. And we want to take a walk in other people's shoes. We want to talk about what the challenges are, what the solutions could be. And for people to be able to vent and just talk about these issues, Katie, people are so heavy right now. This moment is heavy. And if you are poor, the working poor, the barely middle class, hell, if you, you were catching hell before the pandemic, you shown up, as my grandmother used to say, shown up. You are shown up catching hell right now. And so we do need the political class to get a clue and actually serve the people right now. You know, Katie, in, in my religious tradition, you know, I'm a Christian. My mother was a preacher. So my siblings and I went to church eight days a week. And there's a scripture that said, and I think it was Paul who said, is that when I was a child, I spoke as a child. You know, I thought as a child, I'm paraphrasing. But now that I'm a man, I put away childish things. Now that I'm a woman, I put away childish things. I'm using that to talk about evolution of consciousness. We all are not 100% right on everything. And hopefully we have evolved. You know, the great... Uh, uh, Muhammad Ali had a quote that said that if at the age of 50, I'm still thinking like I'm 20, something is wrong. And I'm paraphrasing him too. So I want to use that in politics that hopefully these people who were elected to serve, not special interests to serve the people, hopefully they will have an evolution of consciousness. And Katie, I want to use Medicare for all as one of those examples. You know, we heard those folks on the stage talking about Medicare for all who want it, Medicare for all who choose, don't mess with people's uh, employer-based health care. They ain't got it no more. Now what? So if a pandemic doesn't move these people, and and we can fill in the blank, Katie, you can fill in the blank with other issues. If these issues don't move these folks, I don't know what will. If people literally dying. Right. That is such, yeah. Go ahead, Katie. No, 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 please. No, no, no. Do your thing. No, I was going to say, I mean, that's such a concrete black and white issue of life and death and health. You know, like if that doesn't move you to the core, what what will? What will? True yeah. true drug panels happening right now in the United yeah. States in the world, and we can't even get just a symbolic gesture. I know that's what's so scary. It's like it's such hubris and entitlement, and they really are saying that they couldn't care less. Yeah, uh, about this. Red. That's that's what that's what is. they're running on. They're that's they're holding. Yeah, they're really holding the country hostage, right? They're yeah. holding people 
like a hostage and basically being like, we are not going to be calling in the, you know, federal troops. So vote for us. And we're not going to give you anything except for we're not as bad as, as Trump. It's a very low bar. Yeah. Yeah. Very and it's low. not going to work. I mean, even if it works, it may work this time. Like it could work this time It'd because be I think, though. yeah, but exactly. It's going to, the, the same yeah. problem is going to be, it's still going to be there. We're going to be there. I want people to dream bigger dreams. And I, this has got to be the last election cycle where we tell them people to choose between the lesser two evils. Seriously. I, 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 I just can't take it. I, I can't do this any, anymore. This is going to be the last one. Trump, yeah. make, make no mistake. Trump is a clear and present danger. And he got, he has got to go. You know, I like the way that Dr. West describes it. It's different between neoliberal and you've talked to Dr. West and the neo-fascist. Yeah. And in the short term, the neo-fascist is, in fact, the most dangerous. No right. doubt about it. Hear me clearly, because ain't nobody going to write about this, Katie. So I wish you, hopefully on your other shows, you yeah. would say yeah. that Turner made it very clear. Yeah, I'm making Trump a little Instagram is thing. Is clear yeah. and present danger, yeah. and he must go. However, that does not negate, that does not, does not abdicate. I can't abdicate my responsibility to continue to stand up for the people who are suffering in this country and to want and demand more. As Brother Frederick Douglass said, power can seize nothing without a demand. Right. We're not begging. We demanded Medicare for all. We demanded legalizing marijuana. We demanded to treat our Palestinian sisters and brothers like the human beings that they are. We demand reforms and criminal justice. We demand that policing must change. So whether you want to call it defunding police or, or reforming police, pick your name. But we cannot continue along this course, Katie. We just cannot. So something is wrong with somebody. When you have leaders tell you, shh, don't say nothing about your suffering. Shh, don't tell nobody. What the hell? Right. No. My hair is on fire. When your hair is on fire, act like your hair is on fire. Don't be ashamed to do it. Make a demand. Damn and and are so are people going to be able to pressure uh, Biden? Or I mean, what what do you think is going to happen? Like, what are you guys organizing? Uh, how are you organizing? And I love um, Dr. Victoria Dooley. Woo, uh, got, I love that got, woman. Yeah, you got to have her on. Katie. I know I've had her on, but I have to have her on now. The last time I'm doing video. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Two-hour marathon with me. Yeah, she you is know, um, tireless. Roots Action, Progressive Democrats. Oh, yeah, Norman Solomon. Oh, Norman is the is the is the guy. Yeah, just shouting them out, and along with the chairwoman, I've had him on too. Nevada, yeah, uh, yeah, Norman is the truth. Um, the chairwoman of Nevada, Judith Whitmer. Oh, uh, yeah, she is fire. Okay, she organized along with her folks in Nevada, Katie. She's the one that that started that petition. To have the Bernie Krats and other oh. delegates, yeah, they don't just have to be Bernie delegates, right? With, with her, uh, Judith, to have delegates say Medicare for all on this platform, or we're voting against the platform. That sister did that, right? Matter, and so, yeah. And yeah. what's the status yeah. with that now? Is that about, about seven hundred, about seven hundred delegates to sign that thing and climbing? Okay, seven hundred. And I want Katie. I want to direct people. I don't know if your team is there. Whatever you put in no, the yeah. chat, whatever. Um, our brother, John Nichols, wrote an article that came yeah, out. Yeah, I love him article. at The Nation. Yes, The Nation. The headline, without Medicare for all, this isn't the boldest Democratic platform in American history. Is it? Ain't. Right. Whatever you want to say. 700 
Democratic delegates signal that they will oppose a platform that fails to renew the party's commitment to establish a national health care system. Please check that out by Brother John Nichols. That's yeah. it. So the number is rising, Katie, and it really shows that progressives can make a demand and have some consequences. This is a line in the sand that progressives have decided, do this or else. You Obviously, you don't want our vote on the platform if you don't do this. So they're going to hold out um, yeah. at the convention oh, or yeah. whenever they're ratified. Uh, vote no on the platform. Vote no on the platform. That's and then, it. and then, so sorry, I don't know the logistics very well of this, um, but I also want to just thank you and and um, Dr. West and Ben Jealous and everyone else who was at in 2016. I was so like you guys were such good speakers. I could watch you like it was a TV show. I was just watching the like platform committee hearings, and I was like, and J and Dr. James Ogby, yeah, um, all of you, and um, um, Congressman um, Ellison. All yes. of you trying to like fight the good fight and getting just voted down as much as they could. But um, so does that mean it could stop the platform? Like what happens? Does that mean they would have to, no, or is it just non-binding and symbolic? It's non-binding. I mean, hell, the platform is non-binding, as you know, and symbolic. But yeah, right. we don't have enough delegates unless some of the other delegates join us, which is highly unlikely um, to, to, to force it, to stop it. But what we are showing is that we're not going to lay down and just take it. And right. I want to encourage people, as I did on the other call that I was on, is that the fight within the Democratic Party is one, only one step. Should Mr. Biden become the next president of the United States of America, there can be no honeymoons. The day that he, the next day, we need to be taken to the streets and making a demand. We right. cannot fall so in love with politicians, be so enamored with them that we don't make a demand. Too much is happening in this country and in the world. And so that is what progressives, progressive-minded people, or maybe even people who don't necessarily consider themselves progressive, but there's some issues that you want to see the government take part in with your money and your right. power. Right. Your money and your power make a demand. And so we got to build some coalitions, but particularly for the progressives, we got to be more agile. We got to organize with both big organizations as also the grassroots. And to be very clear with the neoliberals that we are not going to take it anymore. And a win is not is not pro. It doesn't mean that the Democratic Party, this is really anti-Trump that's going right. to win this race. Right. Make no mistake. Right. The man got to go. Here's a, we have a lot of people who are nominating you or asking you to run or asking you who should be uh, running um, in 2024. Also, if uh, you would accept a, a, you know, if Biden offered you a running mate position. You ain't never. I know. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I shout out Katie to California progressives who put up three black women and they didn't, they didn't equivocate on it. And that was Congresswoman Barbara Lee. A Congresswoman Karen Bass, and then yours truly from the yeah. great state of Ohio. I love them. Again, making a demand, you know, right. they made a demand. I, I really respect and appreciate that. Basically, what they're saying is that we want progressives. Here are three progressive women to choose from. That for them, it's not just about any person being that, but it's about progressives. I applaud them for that. So I, I respect the people who want me to fill that position, but it, it's not going to happen because they're not ready for the kind of truth that I tell. Right. They're not ready. The world ain't ready. 2024 is a whole nother story. So Katie, you come back, you know, yeah. Get this Check in again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
Um, and uh, what about, you know, I, I know that it's people don't like to look back and water under the bridge, but but, you know, what are the lessons from from the campaign in terms of organizing and running campaigns and running for election? Like, what do you really want to make sure people know or uh, learn that can be applied like at this moment? Yeah, that losing in the moment does not mean, and I, I hate to do the war, but losing the battle doesn't mean you lose the war. I'm trying to think of something else besides right. the fight all the time. That, oh yeah, I got it. So sometimes we're gonna have valley moments and sometimes you're gonna have mountaintop moments. And when we are in the valley moment, it does not feel good. We're gonna lose some and we're gonna win some. But that, but that does not mean that what we are fighting for is not the right thing. It is the right thing. And this progressive movement, Katie, this recent iteration of the progressive movement, we know that in the 19th century, there was a, the progressive era. Mm. Don't get me started. It was, certainly was not, not perfect because they had racism laced into it and they wanted experts over the everyday right. people. Don't get me started. But it was an era that recognized that government needed to take a stronger role in solving the, uh, in trying to ameliorate social conditions. Now they didn't do it exactly the way we would do it in the 21st century right. and we're wrong on some of that stuff, little elitist on a lot of yeah, it, yeah. racist on other yeah. parts of it. Right. Expertise, but, as you said. But, yeah. A lot of expert. Yeah. In but, the but, 19, in the 20th, in the two, in the 20th century, right. In the early, in the 1900s, you're talking about. Yeah. Well, the 18th, the 1800s, this was 19th century. Okay. Um, the that iteration era. of it. Okay. Yeah. The era, you know, yeah, I didn't know if we're talking about the the, the Gilded Age right. is happening. Right. We're back in a whole nother Gilded Age. Think right. about that. We think yeah. about Bezos and, and and so that's another right, show. Right. So I'm Robert, saying all that yeah. to say that over the course of our existence as human beings, there always have been people who bucked against the status quo. And in their moment, they were called troublemakers. So let's take what Congressman John Lewis said and make right. the trouble. They were called detractors. They were called, you know, people that are upsetting the apple cart, that something is wrong with them, that they are radical. You think of people like Mother Jones or Mahanta Gandhi or Chad. Name your misfit, baby. Come on to the island of misfit black girl. Name yeah, your mis sure, misfit. Yeah. Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman. Brianna Joy Gray. Name your misfit. Right. At the yeah. time that they were fighting, they were upsetting the status quo. Hell, fighting to free enslaved people was upsetting the status quo. So I, I'm using these examples because I want people to feel what I am saying. We are going to have valley moments, but we're going to have mountaintop moments too. And in order to appreciate the mountaintop, you got to go through the valley. So something, Katie, that our brother, our dear brother, uh, Michael Render, and I still hope we got to get him on, on your show with you and Matt Steele. Yeah. Uh, he was so busy, you know, with what was going on in Atlanta and, and everything. So I'm going to still work to try to get him. But this is, he said, plot, and when you guys use this, give him credit, Michael Render, a.k.a. Killer Mike, plot, plan, organize, strategize, mobilize, capitalize. Plot. We got to do some plotting. Mm. And once you start plotting, you got a plan. See, what they did in Nevada is one good example of that. They started plotting, 
What kind of good trouble can we make at this convention? We're just not going to take it. Okay, what's our issue? Medicare for all. Then they started planning. So they got consensus among themselves in the battle. And they said, okay, now we're going to take this out to all of the delegates. So they started organizing. How can we organize? They started a petition asking the delegates sign this petition to say to the DNC, we want Medicare for all in the platform. And if they don't do it, right, we're going to vote against it. So plot, plan, organize, strategize, mobilize, capitalize. You can take that formula that Michael has laid out and apply it to anything. I know people are tired, they're, they're hurt, they're weird, they're angry. I just don't take all of those emotions. Cause I ain't one to tell people don't feel what they feel. Right. What I am saying is that don't be, don't, don't allow those feelings to overtake you so much that you don't act. Yeah. We gotta act, be mad as hell and fight. Be angry and fight. Hell, your hair is on fire, fight. And make it known And when people suffer, there ain't no time for you to be prim and proper. Yeah. Katie. Yeah. Yeah, I said what I said. No, it's, yeah. Quote, quote the great Nene Leakes. Yeah. <laughs> what I said. And I meant right. it. Yeah. We should have her on too. Yes. Um, but no, would love to have Killer Mike. Um, my friend's uh, son just did, uh, performed all, what is Run the Jewels, um, Reagan, the song Reagan. He did the whole thing from, from top to bottom. Not saying the N word, obviously. He, you know, he just didn't say anything at that part. And he, right. but he did all of the, he's 12, he's 10 years old and he did the Reagan speeches too. You got to verbatim. Me so I can get I know, I will, I will, I will, I will, yeah. Yeah, maybe was great. Michael to give a little brother yeah. shout out. Yeah, it was really, it was really, really cute. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, any, and, and what do you do to, I guess, do you, like, we I, we always see you really inspiring people. Do you get your low, like, valley moments yourself personally? And what do you do to get out of those valleys? All the time, you know, all, all the time. I meditate. I pray a lot. You know, my church upbringing is really coming in handy these days. When you're in politics, you really got to lean on a higher power, at least I, I believe Yeah. That. You know, try to get as much time with my family as as I can. They are a source of strength for me. I exercise, Katie. I love boxing and I visualize people, you know, so I Trump, Biden. Yeah, I just visualize a whole bunch of folks on that bag, baby. Too many to name. Stress out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I love the hula hoop too. So that's something, you know, you're getting me to tell something. Yeah necessarily know about me. I'm really good at wow. it. Wow. So I hula hoop and I just hula hoop. And then my playlist, my exercise playlist is mainly LL Cool J. That's who I work out with on my playlist. Nice. Yeah. But I also got my some Beyonce in there. Girls run the world. Got to have some yeah. girls run the world, baby. That should be on every lady's playlist. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And music. I, I love music. I love gospel music. I love R&B. I love rap you know i might not be up with the latest i'm really more of an old school so so to the tupac and uh, uh mm. you are appreciate dear mama is, is yeah. absolutely one, one of my favorites and uh yeah music meditation exercise cursing help. yeah yeah gotta give a shit now instead of giving a shit later as Come you on. said on uh useful ideas which we got to give yeah. a shit now instead yeah. of giving Shit later, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I might not be able to use the word shit anymore for a very. No, long. it's good. You got to keep it. You have to keep it. Keep it uh, going. And what what kind of meditation do you do? Oh my God, I do. I love that Calm app. Not to put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. Yeah, but Calm app is really, really good. Um, I have another app called Apt. 
active, which is workout and, right. and meditation. And then sometimes I just, you know, either five minutes, 30 minutes, whatever the mood, just, just take that time for yourself. I want to say this to everybody. You got to quiet and steal yourself, steal the voices, steal all of the outside distractions, because this stuff that we are going through will absolutely kill you physically, mentally, yeah. spiritually. So steal, you know, I do the breathing exercises and I'm telling you, Katie, it does. It really does make a difference. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, might, it might not last me all day, right, but I try it. to do it first thing in the morning. We all are only human. And Katie, I'm, I'm really glad to be having this kind of conversation with you because people do always see me in fight mode. I care so much about people. You know, and we're not always going to agree. And I just mean that in general, any relationship that you have with people, the prerequisite shouldn't be that you always agree with that person because then you're never going to really have a real relationship. Right. You're not ever going to agree with even the people who you love the most. But this must be a fight for what is just, for what is right and what is good. And we are not in a moment where we can sugarcoat this. Too many people are catching hell every single day. And when you got politicians who are pri privileged enough to tell you what they not going to do with your own money. Something is wrong with that, Katie. And I just can't, you know, I just can't take it no damn more. My hair is on fire, Katie. Yeah. Really? I'm over it. Really. Yeah. I'm over it. I don't know if the world is ready for me to be over it, but I'm damn over it. So I'm liable reporters message to reporters. They liable to catch me on a good day where I'm going to tell the truth, the whole yeah. truth and nothing but the truth. And that just was one of those days. But make no mistake, I know that Trump is a clear and present danger and that he must go. But I'm not going to sacrifice that knowledge to not being able to make a demand and call people out. So I'm calling folks out. Right. That's yeah. Well, yeah, uh, that was I, I wanted to ask you. It's funny. I've been listeners and viewers know like uh for the last oh some brian frederick saying we need cory bush in congress that's true. yes please yeah. support sister cory yes. bush in yes. missouri baby paula jean is yeah paula jean swearingen yes yeah yeah also um uh, J uh jen perlman yeah and, uh, and melba pearson who is running against um uh, Catherine Fernandez Rundall for state's attorney in Miami. I don't know if you've heard about this. Oh, I'll no. send you a link to it. But she's running against this woman who refused to prosecute the prison guards who boiled Darren Rainey, a black schizophrenic man, basically to death in the shower. Um, and she didn't uh, prosecute uh, any of them. Oh my and God. yeah, and also she didn't prosecute a cop who five women and girls accused of rape and sexual assault. And so Melba Pearson is running against her. Um, yeah, she's, it's like, and that, that race needs to get a lot more attention. It hasn't been, but it's so important. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, it, it's funny because the last, last week we talked about Michael, uh, Brooks, um, and he was very, I know, uh, yeah. And it was very, it was really hard. And my co-host, my, the guy who's usually my co-host on Wednesdays is a co-host, was a co-host with Michael's for another show. And, we were talking about how important spirituality was for him. And then I had Marianne Williamson on and a couple of weeks before then I had Kate um, Willett on, who's great. And we were just talking about how it's so hard during COVID for so many people. And, and I, I do think there's a real space for, and you come from a very spiritual tradition and that's the space that you exist in. But I think for a lot of our fellow progressives, myself included, um, who are more kind of like cynical or, uh, not necessarily that spiritual there is this kind of like 
this fear that you can't do both at the same time, because if you want to fight for justice, um, you, you can't be doing self-care, because if you're doing self-care, then you're, uh, you're making life better for yourself instead of fighting for the world. But I always remember what you said about the um, oxygen mask. Yeah. Uh, and how you have to, and that doesn't mean put it on yourself and then don't worry about other people. Exactly. But it's the put it on yourself so that you're like able to actually be there doing this work with other people for other people. That's right, Katie. You got to refill. You can't just give, give, give and not refill the tank. It's like right. a card. So I didn't think of the, the, <laughs> I mean, the airlines are right about that. Right. They're telling you that because in order to help save the person next to you, if they can't do it or you're next to a child, I mean, it makes sense. That is a perfect example. So no, self-care is important. I used to be like that too. And I think a lot of women, and, and, and I would say particularly black women, sacrifice so much for others. And then you think, it's harmful to even think about yourself, but you have to do that in order to be able to, 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 to just run on. You know, there's a song in, in, in the black church. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like running on. I feel like going on. You have to refill your tank and that is okay. And, and even if it's just five minutes, even if it's just going outside to get some fresh air, Whatever centers you, for me, is meditation. And it's also quotes, Katie. You know, I'm a quote machine. I love yeah. quotes, too. Whatever that little thing is that lifts your spirit, your favorite song, it is amazing. And this is scientifically rooted, too. It's not just yeah. Turner saying this. There's a science that, you know, mindfulness. Yeah. It, it really does work. And we know that there's a quote that says that music uh, soothes the savage beast. Basically, you know, music is a soothing um, instrument. It's, it's soothing. It's a soothing source, not an instrument. Music is. So take the time and do that for yourself so that you can keep going on. This work that we're doing, those of us who are really vested in this and willing to give all that we have, is taxing, it's tiring, it's stressful. And so you do have to give. It's okay. I'm so glad you brought up Brother Michael Brooks. There is a, 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 there's a hole in the heart yeah. of many of us and he will never be replaced and we will continue to do the work that he believes so much in, but such a great spirit and a boldness about him. I was in total shock. And it just it's just a reminder that death can be visited upon any of us at any age and at any time, at any stage. And like that suddenness of it. I mean, it was sudden mm -hmm. for us, maybe some people who were closer to him. No, it was sudden for everyone. Okay. For the closest yeah. of his, yeah, friends okay. and family, yeah. That makes it work. I mean, it's, it's bad even when you know somebody is going to, but it's even worse when it's just sudden like that and then you take his age into consideration. Yeah. So that's just a reminder to us that none of us know the day or the hour. Right. And so we have to do those things to take care of ourselves so that we can continue to be bold what, we, what we're fighting and living for it too because we got to live for some stuff. Too. Right. Well, thank you so much and always welcome whenever you want to come by, whenever you want to come on. So grateful for your time and you're so inspiring to everyone. And someone just put a link in your podcast. Uh, oh, Brad put a link there. Oh, um, Brad, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, it comes and out I'll on Monday link. for Patreon. It comes out on Thursdays for everybody else who's a subscriber. So just please, please, please subscribe. And I love you all. Visit me on ninaturner.com. Let's Katie, you know, Come on, y'all. We can make this world a better place. So let's, yeah. let's let's commit to doing what we can, where we are, what we have to be the change, as Brother Mahatma Gandhi once said, that we want to see in the world. Thank you. I love Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Bye. Bye. We're going to bring in our next guest if he's ready. You guys, you this, you know him. You love him. You've seen him before. You've heard him before. The one, the only, the maligned, the um, blacklisted or attempted blacklisted, uh, Aaron Mate. Welcome. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you? I'm I'm fine. How are you? Good. First of all, thank you for coming on. Second of all, we're going to talk about your very important article. Third of all, I'm going to bring that to the front. So we're mm -hmm. now at number one again. Okay. You went to summer camp, I believe, with none other than Seth Rogen. Confirmed. Confirmed, Confirmed. right? And Confirmed. and did you see the latest? You saw that he he criticized uh, Hasbara. Did you see this? I did see or, that. Okay, I yeah. did see that. Yeah. yeah. And it's cool. It's a departure for him because yeah. during the uh, summer of 2014, when Israel launched that murderous assault on Gaza, he signed this letter of support that was uh, basically backing Israel's invasion. Right. It was con condemning. It was condemning Hamas. Condemning Hamas. And basically saying I that mean, Israel, as, I know. I know. Yeah. Sorry. It was, it, was, it was basically like adopting the Obama line of like, giving a total green light for the uh for the massacre but in a way that made it seem kind of benign like israel has the right to live and security right. defend itself and that means you have the right to go butcher palestinian kids and so it's cool you know what a difference sustained activism and and people raising awareness makes because now seth rogan has come around and it was really yeah. cool to see him make that statement and say that he no longer identifies with Israel like he used to. It's cool. Yeah. And it's been fed a lot of uh, Mishagas, my yeah. word on his, but yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and there was an article, uh, I'll do this on another episode with you bonus because it's not as important as what we're going to talk about, but there was a very funny article in the forward where uh, yeah. some, some writer was imploring, uh, dear American Jewish wow. boys, please find another outlet for your edible rage signed Israeli Jews. Yes. Um, which is amazing. Also, Seth Rogen, such as uh, like you, much like you, is a Canadian, but mm -hmm. that's neither here nor there. Just a little <laughs> bit, you know, fact checking. Yeah. Um, so, Aaron, you uh, have a really great piece at the Nation, and I'm like really happy and impressed, and kind of surprised that you're able to publish it there or anywhere. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's did Trump bomb Syria on false grounds. The American media is ignoring leaks from the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons that suggests a whitewash. So please, can you tell us um, uh, not only the story, but I guess how you came to write about it and if it was hard to get it published? And Well, it wasn't easy to get it published. And I think the fact that the nation published it was an act of courage on their part. But it shouldn't be because... It's a really well-sourced article. It's based on whistleblowers, and it's challenging a guy named Donald J. Trump. And one of the most serious decisions that he has made so far, which is launch military strikes on another country, on Syria, uh, this time in April 2018. And it's an amazing story that's been totally silenced in the U.S. media, including on the progressive adversarial uh, left. And so... But it shouldn't be when you look at it, because basically what it is, is in April 2018, you have um, the Syrian government accused of committing a chemical attack in the town of Douma, which is just outside of Damascus. Uh, Syria was in a very uh, vicious fight with a, a militia called Jaysh al-Islam, which controlled uh, Douma at the time and is backed by Saudi Arabia. 
And just as it was about to retake Duma, you had the Syrian government being accused of committing a chemical attack, which on its face didn't really make a lot of rational sense because for Syria to do that, they'd be doing the one thing that would be triggering the red line that basically guarantees U.S. military intervention because, you know, uh, Trump a year before pretty much that almost to the day, Trump had bombed Syria based on another allegation of a chemical weapons attack. So Trump bombed Syria. Uh, without, you know, without producing any evidence. And pretty much everybody goes along with it. Nobody in Congress, except for Tulsi Gabbard, I think, voices any skepticism. The whole media, they pause their, you know, the resistance, Trump bashing to like celebrate Trump. And because this is when they back him is when he bombs other people. And this is when, right. you know, uh, and, and then um, now there's already some reasons to doubt the allegation, including just from like a rational sense, it makes no sense. And then you also have some witnesses saying that it was not a chemical attack and you have footage of a hospital scene that looks like it's been staged. And But anyway, all that gets sort of put aside when um, a year later, about a year later in March 2019, the OPCW, after sending in an, an investigation team into Duma uh, a, week, a week or so after the uh, alleged attack, the OPCW comes out with a report saying that, yeah, there are reasonable grounds to believe that a chemical weapons attack occurred. And that's taken to be uh, pretty much substantiation and uh, a justification for Trump's attack. Then, though, we get a bunch of leaks and we show that internally the investigators who actually went to Duma and said the OPCW reached a far different conclusion. And basically their conclusions were censored and they were drastically rewritten by their superiors who basically kicked them to the curb, excluded them from the process, and produced a report that fit a narrative to make, you know, to suggest that a chemical attack had occurred when in fact the evidence that the investigators had collected had found the exact opposite. And so the leaks have been coming out slowly since May of 2019. And you look at the media coverage and there's just been nothing, absolutely nothing. It's been a total wall of silence. And we can talk about why, but it's to me, it's one of the most extraordinary instances of manufacturing consent that I can recall because, I mean, you know, look, I, I mean, I wasn't there. So like, I can't like, I, and I'm also not a scientist, right. but the point is you have people inside the OPCW who are saying that their findings were far different than what was put out. And by the way, they also said that all of this came under U.S. pressure where right before uh, the OPCW put out their interim report on this in July of 2018, shortly, you know, shortly after the alleged attack, they had a visit from a delegation from the U.S. government, which basically told them, you're going to have to come to this conclusion. There was a chlorine attack. This is why. And it was a really dubious presentation that they gave that the scientists at the OPCW were not convinced by and, th and more importantly, thought was totally um, uh, inappropriate interference because under the Chemical Weapons Convention, state parties are not allowed to interfere in investigations. That's the whole point of groups like the OPCW. They're supposed to be independent and impartial and free of interference. And they also felt as if this put them actually in danger because these U.S. officials met face-to-face -face the inspectors who were carrying out the investigation, which is also unprecedented. It's a complete violation of their confidentiality rights. And the reason why that's important is because there's a history of the U.S. bullying and threatening the OPCW, namely when Jose Bustani, the OPCW's first director general, during the lead-up to the war in Iraq, he was negotiating inspections with Baghdad that were getting in the way of the Bush administration's drive to war. 
So John Bolton, when he was serving under Bush, threatened Bustani and even said to him, we later found out, that we know where your kids live. And they forced out Bustani and forced him to resign. John Bolton said that? John Bolton said that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, lo and behold, now it's interesting because now, you know, fast forward to 2018, John Bolton's first day on the job comes right after Syria is accused of this chemical attack. And John Bolton writes in his new memoir that he oversaw the, the Trump administration's military planning for bombing Syria. And his only criticism of Trump is that Trump didn't order a wider attack on Syria in response. And Jose Bustani, meanwhile, he also resurfaces because he takes part in a panel that heard from one of the whistleblowers and heard their evidence. And Bustani said that he was very troubled by what he saw. And basically, he's, he thinks the OPCW has been compromised. And you know that's a very serious thing to have the world's top chemical weapons watchdog used as an instrument uh, to justify the military strikes and the proxy wars of the world's top superpower. So how did these leaks come out and how did you access them? Well, so you have in the leaks, we see that there was this massive internal struggle where the scientists who went to Duma uh, and there's basically there's there's two of them who spoke out. Uh, there are others that that were there, but the ones who were most forceful in speaking out uh, were there. Uh, one of them is, uh, is we know his name. His name is Ian Henderson. The other one is not identified. His name is Inspector B. That's how he's, that's how the OPCW identifies him. And these leaks show that these guys struggled to get their findings heard internally, but they never went public. And finally, um, in March of 2019, the OPCW put out this final report. And, you know, um, and when the Duma investigators, the ones that were left, because at that point, some Inspector B was no longer, his tenure had expired by then. But when that happened, both uh, Henderson and Inspector B uh, spoke out internally and tried to get the director general to listen to the evidence that was excluded and say, listen, we were there for this investigation and there was fraud. I want you to know about it. But uh, they were basically shut down. And sometime after that, in May of 2019, the first leak occurred. We don't know from who, uh, but somebody from inside the organization leaked a report that Henderson had written, basically concluding that whereas the public final report had concluded that it was quite likely the these gas cylinders that were found in Duma came from a military aircraft. Henderson had actually written that it's quite more likely that it's the exact opposite, that the cylinders were manually placed, uh, suggesting that the whole thing was staged on the ground to help trigger a U.S. A US military strike. Uh, and Henderson's report also referred to the fact that the OPCW had relied on, quote, supposed experts which basically meant that he was, if you read between the lines, he was saying that after excluding their own scientists, the OPCW needed somewhere else to justify the narrative they wanted. So they turned to the outside and got some unnamed, and un, you know, we don't even know who they are and what they did. We, they got them to produce some, basically some junk science to justify the narrative that they wanted to go with. And this and was- in, 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 terms of, in terms of how I got them, you know, uh, I've, been, I've been leaked some stuff um, as this story has has escalated in recent months and I've I've written a lot about it at the gray zone and uh but you know uh that's all I can say about it um I, I think I got it because I was one of the few journalists to pay attention to this story and I've been covering it nonstop because to me it's just it's so important for you know for obvious reasons and have there been other attempts to write about this I know that there was someone at Newsweek um 
Yeah, there, there's yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Tarek Haddad who was working at Newsweek, and he, he, you know, as the leaks were coming out, he went to his editors and wanted to write the story, and they refused. Um, and so he quit in protest, which is, I mean, quitting a media job. That's a yeah. that's a bold, that's a bold move because there are not too many of them. Right. And, you know, and so and if you look at you know the way the media has covered this, the only time a reporter from the New York Times has mentioned this story. It came once, and it came buried in a profile of this group, Bellingcat, which is like a, a Western state-funded um, out, outlet that purports to do open-source investigations, but I think really just exists to justify, you know, whatever fashionable Western narratives uh, there are of the day, such as, for example, justifying intervention in Syria. And so it's buried at the bottom of this profile, and they mention this, this scandal, and they reduce, like all these emails and, and, and reports and documents that have come out, the Times describes it as an, as an email from an investigator, as if that's like the sum total of what has come out, you know? And that was their only mention of it so far. And not um, as like a leak. Not, well, I mean, it was a, I, you know, they, they, they might've called it a leak, but it's like, the point is we have like the original report that was suppressed uh, and right. then, was, then was censored by OPCW superiors. We have all these documents. We have, uh, there's meetings of a toxicology session where the these expert toxicologists say that the symptoms observed are totally inconsistent with a chlorine attack, which is what was ultimately alleged by the U.S. and the OPCW. And so we have this trove of leaks. Right, the, trove, Times, right, yeah. the Times describes it as an as one email, right, uh, yeah. from an investigator. You know, so it's like, um, and otherwise, it's it's been complete silence, just total silence. And it's so dangerous because I mean, if people who even talk about this are dismissed as conspiracy theorists, um, crazy, fringe, whatever. Uh, it's this cycle where no one else will report on it. And so it becomes that much more fringe, right? Like it looks that much more fringe because yeah. everyone else is afraid to do it. Um, and then this is an example of like, you know, we should be skeptical of, of stuff like this, especially if Cheeto Mussolini erratic like we don't want him to be launching wars or dropping missiles places like again it, it, it's just like this this mania this like it's almost like a magic uh, uh the way that people manage to get mad at trump for the exact opposite things of, of the things that they should be mad at him about and then when there's actually a smoking gun potentially about something that actually is bad no one says anything and if you suggested a report on it you're a conspiracy theorist hundred percent. And, you know, you know, I experienced this in trying to point out the actual facts of Russiagate and trying to push back on the dominant narrative by pointing out all the countervailing evidence that was just being ignored in, in the service of the fashionable narrative. Um, and, you know, it's, it was even harsher if you look at the issue of Syria, where you have since 2012 about the U.S. spends hundreds of millions of dollars on a proxy war. The New York Times calls it the most expensive covert operation in U.S. history. Um, you know, uh, sending weapons and uh, support into a country in in support of so-called rebels that are fighting a government that the U.S. wants to overthrow. The weapons and support ultimately ends up uh, benefiting jihadist groups, especially Al Qaeda. And those who tried to challenge that and challenge all the core narratives that were used to justify this proxy war—I mean, you know them. 
um, Rania Kalik and Ben Norton and Max Blumenthal and others were just harassed and tormented, and they were the ones dismissed as conspiracy theorists. And really, they were just trying to document accurately the destruction of a country uh, because the U.S. because the U.S. wanted to overthrow its government for for its own reasons. And uh, and we see that now, even in a case where you have you know documents coming, this extraordinary story where you have it's like you know this is not a you know not a matter of like you know, someone's analysis or, or speculation. These are like, these are documents from inside the world's top chemical weapons watchdog. Right. Documenting a deception and a cover-up. And not even that can get into the mainstream and, and not even can, can get it, not even that can get into like left liberal publications. So The Intercept, for example, has published a bunch of stories pushing the pro-war narrative that the Syrian government was guilty. They haven't even acknowledged the whistleblower's existence. Same thing pretty much with Democracy Now. They did one segment on this, and that segment they did was with the guy who tried to dox one of the, one of the whistleblowers. It was like their guest was a, this guy, Brian Whitaker, who's, a, who's an apologist for the Syria proxy war. So, did they let him dox the person on the show? No, he didn't dox him on the show. But the point is, like, it's just, it speaks to how effective, unfortunately, proxy war propaganda has been. And, you know, we, you know, listen, I'm even victim to this. I was convinced in the early years of the, of the Syrian war, like I went along with this and actually, and so did some of my colleagues too, because, you know, like people are rising up against a tyrant. You know, I mean, like, you know, like why not support that? But then, right. you learn, then you learn the actual facts that it's not just the question of peaceful protests being brutally cracked down. I mean, that happened, but it's not just that. It's also the U.S., and it's Gulf allies and Turkey letting like tens of thousands of jihadists from around the world enter the country, flooding them with weapons, um, uh, arming uh, sectarian militias that want to kill Christians and Alawites and Shia and destroying a country. And, you know, the same, it's not that unlike Afghanistan in the 1980s, but people on the left got co-opted into, into supporting that. Right. The point where even now, where the war is basically over, but it's still hard to challenge the core narratives. And one of those narratives are things like Assad is such a demonic monster that he commits these chem these irrational chemical weapons attacks, and that is what is used to justify U.S. military intervention to overlook the massive U.S. Uh, 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 spending that went into the proxy war, and to help justify ongoing uh, economic terrorism, basically, which is strangling Syria and strangling Syrian civilians for the fact that their government won the proxy war. So now the U.S. has imposed its most crippling sanctions on Syria to date. And things like these chemical weapons attack allegations are used in support of that narrative. And look at the look at the scale of opposition. Like we're killing Syrian kids and we're denying them food and medicine. We're crippling the Syrian healthcare system, which was once the envy of the region before the war. Why? Because they beat our side in the proxy war and look at the scale of congressional and media opposition. It's like, it's not even discussed. Right. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and I mean, when I, when I tweeted this out that you were coming on the show, of course, there is one of the regulars who I guess <laughs> follows my tweets a lot, follows my work. He must have some kind of tool that that's finds like when you're tagged or no, he probably retweet. You probably retweet, and that's how he saw it. But he he was like said to Nina Turner, like, "Do you know that you're going to be on a show with like genocide deniers?" Um, yeah. uh, so they do. They're very, you know, they do their homework. It's funny if you yeah. look at their reaction. Nobody submits a correction to the nation. Nobody even tries to offer a substantive response. 
all they can do is call names and accuse you of being a genocide denier and a sadist. And it's like, it's, it's all they can do. And all they can do is try to, try to, to bully people into silence. But, you know, um, you know, and that works on some people. And it might even have worked on me in the past, maybe, you know, because it's just like, but it's, it's so, it, it, it's so vicious. But in this case, like the facts are just overwhelming and they're laid out and nobody can challenge them. And that's been the case if you look at all the reporting that my colleagues at the Gray Zone did. I mean, if you look at all, all, they stuff, all the stuff they did, they've been completely vindicated constantly. And they were subjected to like just the most ridiculous smear campaign and constantly attacked. And I don't see anybody apologizing for, for any of it. And it's just, it's amazing to witness, but it, you know, at a certain point you stop caring about name calling. Um, right. Well, uh, anything else you want to talk about? Um, I mean, we can uh, talk. <laughs> I always have fun talking with you. So yeah. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I think I've talked a lot about Syria and I, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the chance to talk about it. I actually wanted to say one thing about Michael Brooks. Yeah, of course. Which is that I, um, you know, I only met him twice, but just having met him twice, I got what a, just like, I, I saw what a special person he was and I'm really just, um, I'm sad for his loved ones, for his coworkers, and I'm sad for the left because he was special. He offered something really special. He was really smart. He was really thoughtful. He was so funny. Like yeah. he, did, he did this. He did this impression of Chris Matthews that I saw live at the Bell House when he he appeared at the Rising uh, live show. It was so funny, and I just think that we've we've lost someone really special on the left. Who's someone who's uh, who we can't replace. And so I just wanted to. Uh, send my if you know um, I wanted to send my condolences to his loved ones and and just just say what a what a loss this is for everybody. Yeah, it's really shocking. Um, and you know he's someone who people are used to hearing all the time, especially yeah. if they listen to or watch his show or the you know Sam you know the Majority Report. Um, and uh, yeah, we did a thing last week, uh, Nando and I, and we did a, a little thing of brian spontaneous thing of brian williams uh we were talking about how how nando because nando does a chris matthews thing too and because they used to do a chris matthews on chris matthews thing and and he was saying you know uh he, he can't not think of him now when he does the chris matthews impersonation and then we spontaneously transitioned i don't remember why into a brian williams impersonation that nando does really pretty funny uh, impersonation he could have he, he could have had an entire other career in comedy. I, think I know he was, he was that gifted, and yeah. it, it's rare. I mean, you know, leftists, in my experience, are often not that funny. You know, yeah, it's true. and he was able to be like a really committed leftist, and also just like not take himself seriously and be hilarious. And that is, I mean, that is he was special, and also he was deep. You know, he had a lot. He was like he was spiritual. And when I saw him last, we talked a little bit about that. And I saw just what like a, uh, what a rich um, and, uh, and, and deep and uh, thoughtful person he was. And I also learned after he died that he came from, he came from a very low income background. He yeah. grew up on food stamps, which in itself, like to like make it in lefty media, it, to like come from like such a background is I, I, all the more impressive because, you know, like in my case, I can afford to speak honestly about things because I know that no matter what, 
I'll always have a family that that backs me up. You know what I mean? But so to learn that Michael came from that kind of background and was able to establish himself like this and establish a real following, he has friends all over the world. I just thought it was like this that much more impressive because it's there's a price to pay for being a leftist and for having integrity. And it's sometimes it's only people who can afford to do it that right. really, you know, can like can last and sustain themselves. But he really built something. He built a following in a community, and that in, on its own is just was is such an achievement. And it's um, it's just uh, you know, uh, uh, we're we're never gonna forget him. He's yeah. he was he was really really special. And he was so young, but he also like has an entire archive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so yeah, it's like so sad and tragic and there's so much more to do, but like, I keep thinking it's kind of, it's like the, so the I mean, it's, it's not like solace, but maybe it is some solace. It's like that there is that, I mean, that there's like an auto, I mean, it's so sad because the person's not here anymore, but there is this automatic legacy Mm -hmm. like very tangible legacy i mean yeah, yeah it's not I, I don't want to make it sound like i'm saying well on the you know it's just like yeah yeah and people can watch that archive and right they can, yeah and they, can, and they can take they can take him with us you know we can we can capture what we can of his spirit and take it with us in our work his internationalism his right. humor you know he really wanted to unite different factions of the yeah. left you know that's something he wanted like he talked about because, you know, I'm associated with a faction of the left at the gray zone that like right. fights with others. And he was really, he really wanted to like, you know, unite everybody and yeah. stop, you know, and, you know, sometimes I don't think that's possible. I think you have to have certain fights, but he sure. really, he really wanted, wanted to overcome pettiness. And, uh, you know, we can, there's so much in his, in his body of work that we can all learn from. And, and, uh, and there's so much of it. He got, the guy was so prolific. I know. Yeah. Um, and you, Aaron, I was going to like wish you a happy. Uh, it's, well, I don't know how the segue now, but I do want to congratulate you on your year. <laughs> yes. Your year long, uh, your birth, the birthday of a uh, pushback. Yes. How long has it been around your show? How long has it been around? Uh, it, it's been around for a, a year ago since last week. Wow. And for that, I'm very thankful to Max Blumenthal at the Gray Zone, who made it all possible, and Ben Norton, uh, my colleague there, uh, who wrote the theme song and is incredibly helpful. And uh, yes, and, and my other colleague, Anya, hosts another show called Red Lines. And we're doing great. You know, it's cool. Like, um, it's really nice to, like, work with a group I'm so aligned with. And we have, and, and we can do it. You know, we have independence, which I've never really had at this level before. So right. it's it, it's great and uh, we're yeah. going to keep we're going to keep pushing back. Yeah. Great. Yeah, keep pushing back. <laughs> no shade <of> gray. <laughs> or red lines. Yeah. 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 Um well Aaron, thank you again so much and everyone check out Aaron's work and I'll put links to it and um Yeah. Congrats to Aaron, congrats to Gray Zone and uh yeah, come back. I will happily come back. Thank great. you for having me, Kitty. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for having me. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you again so much to Marianne Williamson, to Tim Black, to Nina Turner, and Aaron Mate. Patreon supporters, you're going to get a lot of great stuff. Ready for this? You're going to get Marianne Williamson on Marx. We have a little chat on Marxism. 
You're gonna get Nomiki Konst, who was on the DNC Unity Commission uh, back in 2016. She's gonna share some insights into what happened. Uh, you're gonna hear Aaron Mate talk about Bounty Gate. So that's just some of the things you have to look forward to. So to do that, please go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. You can follow these people, these wonderful people. You can follow Marianne Williamson at Mar Williamson. That's M-A-R Williamson. You can follow Aaron J. Mate at Aaron J. Mate. You can follow Tim Black at Real Tim Black. And you can find Nina Turner at at Nina Turner. And make sure you check out her podcast, Hello Somebody. You can find that uh, wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also go to her website, ninaturner.com. Wow, she's a great website too. You can find that podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. She's had some great guests, including Susan Sarandon, Killer Mike, Michael Render. We've got to get on the Katie Halper Show. And, of course, Brother Cornell West. Thanks again so much for listening to the Katie Halper Show.